0: How are you this evening? Can you hear in the back? All the way? Great. So how are you? You know, sometimes we come on these retreats, especially if we uh, haven't had a lot of practice experience and we have... certain sets of expectations that we don't recognize as expectations. So you may have read something in a book about metta and what it's like or maybe you've listened to talks or teachings by various teachers about the heart opening process of practicing metta and how we're cultivating this wonderful attribute of heart and then you come on retreat and you get the teachings here in this special circumstance, this secluded kind of environment. And while you may uh, wish or assume that metta is just going to flow forth, you know, like a flood from your heart and uh, or maybe it's going to uh, kind of cascade down like warm syrup onto a waffle or something you get here and you find wow this is actually kind of hard or maybe kind of dry or maybe I'm not sure if I can really do this or perhaps it's I'm not sure I want to do this or I'm not sure I can do this like the other kids can do this you know I'm probably in the you know, going to be held back in school grade here. So it's a really good thing in a certain kind of way that we have these small group practice meetings because it gives you an opportunity to, to hear other people's experiences as well as recognizing your own sometimes in what they say. It's an interesting thing uh, to be a human being because very rarely are we in circumstances where we speak aloud our own internal experience in detail. All right? It's a very unusual environment to, to be in where you're being asked by uh, someone who's attentive to you. So tell me what you're experiencing. What, what is that like? And when that happens for you, when that experience comes up in your practice, then what does the mind do with that? You know, what's what's the relationship that the mind has to that event or that particular kind of occurrence? You know, does it like push it away? Does it, you know, let go of it? Does it like glom onto it? Does it uh, suffer with it? Does it identify with it? In a certain way, you could find some of these uh encounters with the teachers in the practice groups as like um, a two-party investigation of your own internal world as it happened in real time. Really unusual to be able to have that experience, right? To have somebody really listen with interest about what's happened for you or what is happening for you to share your inner world in that kind of way and that kind of level. And then to be in a group in a setting where you're listening to other people as they explicate their experience too. So in the morning groups today, then we heard people bringing forward some of the challenges that they were experiencing in practice. And it's really interesting when people bring things forward. Sometimes it's very tentative, almost like, well, you know, I hate to admit, you know, I hate to admit this, but they don't usually say that, but sometimes they do, but, you know, kind of like, well, you know, I was falling asleep, you know, all, all uh, yesterday afternoon, or, you know, I'm, I just really can't settle my mind. It's all over the place. It's still dealing with things that are happening at home, you know, and you can see people sometimes going like, oh, you know, I'm not doing so well with this. I'm kind of, I'm kind of failing, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm not cutting the mustard, as they say. I, so, you know, it's not flowing like a river, this meta, and it's not, you know, cascading like warm syrup onto a waffle. And so then the question is, are you discouraged by this? Because when we hear it, we're actually not discouraged on your behalf. I hope you notice that in the conversations. So there's not really much of, ooh, you should be doing better than that, or, you know, well, you just better get a hold of yourself, mister, and you sit up straight, and you, you get down to it, and you stop that drifting, and you get on that meta, and you work that baby, and... Right? <laughs> so so why is it not instructed in that kind of way? Well, because the, the people who are teaching you have all had the same experiences that you're having now and they've come to some understanding like that's not the right way to go about working with that state, right? Because we know from our own experience that that we have taken the attitude at least sometimes of, you know, beating ourselves around the head and shoulders, uh, for not, you know, doing as well as we think we need to do or should be doing or, um, and have had all the comparisons to other people's imaginary experiences arise in our minds and have felt discouraged and have fallen asleep repeatedly and, you know, have, uh, been beset by various types of cravings which have (laughs) led us away from our ability to focus on the metaphrases, or gotten into snits where you know the mind is so angry and frustrated it can't settle down or have been plagued by various types of doubts questions like why do we even have to do this well wouldn't it be better if we did this well why didn't she say that what did she mean when she said that was that a Oh, maybe I should change my phrases. But no, didn't they say that I shouldn't change my phrases? But maybe it's mindfulness now. Should it do, be mindfulness? Should I do the mindfulness? But maybe this is time for a walk. Maybe this is what they meant by self care, right? The little swirl around of doubt, where the mind is just kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, or maybe it's something else altogether. So the reason that we're not upset or disturbed when, when you tell us things is that, oh, yeah, we know it. <laughs> you know, we know it from the inside because we've had the <laughs> same experience. So the important point here is that anybody who has ever learned how to meditate has had the exact same kinds of experiences that you're having. So whatever you're telling us, you're almost certainly in the normal range. Now I know often we don't like that because that's not good enough, you know, just to be a regular human. Maybe that's okay for other people but not for ourselves, you know, we need to be above that. So this is a very interesting paradox in practice. It's only by really opening to our own human tendencies, including the presence of these kinds of states of difficulty that are called hindrances, that we actually learn how to work with the mind in a way that moves our overall arc of competency, if you want to put put it that way in the direction of liberation it's through this territory that we think is wrong that the heart and mind come to understanding and really be able to open it's not any other way so there's no way to to like to bypass this stuff it's about developing skill in recognizing when it's present having a non-condemning attitude towards ourselves, and interestingly enough, having Metta come to the rescue when we're having a hard time in the form of self-support, self-encouragement, non-condemnation of ourselves when we're experiencing difficulty. This is how it comes about when there's meta that touches anger desire sleepiness sloth and torpor restlessness and worry and doubt there's a certain way that these states that are called hindrances i've just named the five of them sense desire craving aversion sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry and doubt, these normal human states are the field of practice because we have to practice with them and through them in order for the heart and mind to open further. So there's this whole piece about skill development in relationship to these particular states, which we think of as being what's ruining it all, right? This is what's getting in the way. This is what's ruining it all. If I could only get rid of this, then I could do this, which on a certain level has a truth to it, right? If only I weren't being continually flooded by thoughts of lunch, for instance, I might be able to attend to the metaphors. This, This much is wisdom. This is true, It would be easier to say the metaphrases if you weren't being flooded by thoughts of lunch. But then the question is, but if you are being flooded by thoughts of lunch, then what? How do you work right there with that state? Because you have to find some way to bypass it in order to be able to go back to doing the metaphrases, right? And the same thing for these other states. If you're having a strong experience of anger or uh, fear, yes, it's true, it perhaps in the immediate sense, it is getting in the way of doing the formal metta practice. But you have to find a way to come into a knowing of what state is present that's getting in the way, is hampering you. Oh, this is aversion. And find a way to come into wise relationship with that state. So, you kind of take it offline, or you remove it as a, a distraction, or you turn to it directly as a field of practice and you use mindfulness to actually explore what it is. And the same thing with sloth and torpor, and restlessness and worry and doubt. So, there's this whole skill development piece in relationship to these natural human energies. When when Sharon was given some of the traditional phrases last evening, she you know, she said, "May I be free from danger, may I be free from mental suffering?" And I'm sure some of you thought, "Well, what's mental? What's mental suffering?" So basically, the understanding in this set of teachings is it states that are born out of, or are, and are expressions of uh, craving or uh, greed, aversion, and delusion. In each of these five hindrances, these five things that can get can get in the way of our meditation practice, are some version some expression of those three energies, which basically are our human suffering of a mental nature. So one of the big things in learning how to work with this, these states are to recognize that they're normal, they can be expected to arise at times in practice and to decrease reactivity in relationship to them. Right? Because if they're a great big deal when they're present, if, for instance, the mind turns them into evidence that there's something wrong with us when they're present, it makes it much more difficult to actually attend to them with skill and why is that because then our whole self image is on the line when for instance we're having a feeling of rage in relationship to somebody we see doing something that we think shouldn't be done oh my god i'm such a horrible person here we are practicing meta and then there's me You know, and I saw this woman do this one thing and my mind is so judgmental and everyone here is filled with the flower of loving kindness and then there's me, you know, and I'm God. I hope, you know, I never tell anybody this. They should never find this out about me. They would eject me from the Buddhist meditation center. You can see the suffering that's bound up in that. Now, if, if you took that same experience, the arising of rage at the seeing of somebody doing something that, that you think they shouldn't be doing, and perhaps they even shouldn't be doing. So you have the, the arising of rage. What if the mind were to hold it in a very different way? And it would turn to that experience and, and recognize, okay, this is a conditioned arising of a particular mental state. This is a conditioned arising of a particular mental state which is suffering. Now, how does that resonate, that way of viewing it? You you notice in that way of thinking of it or that way of understanding it, there's some differences. One of the differences is You recognize it's a state rather than you. It's a state. It's conditioned, which means it arises under certain circumstances which happen to be present, and there it is. And you recognize that it's suffering, which makes the mind less likely to actually grasp at the state and really get involved with justifying it and keeping it going when you realize, yeah, this is not really so fun. This is suffering. This is the emerging of wisdom in relationship to some of these states of suffering. So part of what you're seeing in that way of looking at it, recognizing this as a conditioned state, is you recognize that you don't own it, and you don't control it. Now, this is, requires some ex, explanation. You know, There's a, a way in which sometimes language is used in you know, uh, psychological circles where somebody will say, you know, just own your power, girl. You own it. Or, you know, well, you know, you did that. You need to own it. You know, where people are basically being encouraged to say, to acknowledge something that they're not acknowledging for one reason or another. But there's another way in which we can own experience, which moves beyond just acknowledging that you know something is is true where we weave it into a storyline about self and get it very entangled with various views about how we are how we should be how we shouldn't be how we need to be you know why were why were that way not so helpful It can be useful to do psychological explanation or exploration. That's not what I'm saying. It can be useful in many ways to know, for instance, if we have a particular personal pattern of suffering, what things went into that historically. You know, what are you know in childhood or things that have we've been experiencing in terms of social conditions or that kind of thing know family dynamics all the rest of it, that can be really useful information but at the point an experience is arising in real time in the present moment here's the question for you do you control immediate arising experience Okay, if you think you do, then I would like you to turn your Selectomatic to Meta Only channel. And I would like you to keep it there. So we see that we have made good effort to turn our hearts and minds towards doing the practice. Right? To try to hear the instructions and follow the instructions and you know, deal with what's coming up and work with it. But we have come across the somewhat uncomfortable experience of realizing that we don't actually govern this body-mind system in an immediate kind of way. That we don't have a selectomatic so, for instance, you know, if the conditions are there for us to feel sleepy in the afternoon, you know, we can work with it, with remedies, we can you know, have a cup of tea, we can walk quicker and do these other things to help support the arising of more energy. But we, generally speaking, we don't really have the capacity to say, well, sleepiness be gone. So when we see this, then the mind does different things with it. Sometimes what the mind does, this is very often the case before it learns better, is the mind will kind of turn around uh, on itself and go, you should be able to da-da-da-da-da. Or, what's the matter with you that da 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 Or, this shouldn't be happening, da 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 This shouldn't be happening. I should be able to get rid of this. I should be able to do that. All the rest of it. That's all wasted motion. So it's somewhat inevitable that those thoughts and emotions will arise when we realize that we don't really control immediate arising experience. But can the mind recognize, well, okay that those are hindrances those thoughts represent hindrances they represent for instance the desire for an immediate kind of experience that isn't present that would be craving or they represent the arising of the desire for a particular experience to be gone because it's completely unacceptable which would be aversion which are the two heavy hindrances Desire, sense, desire, craving, and aversion of the two heavy hitters of the, of the bunch. So these hindrances can actually come as thoughts. Very often they come as thoughts. Very often they come as uh, emotional states as well. And they can come as body sensations. So in some of the practice meetings that, that we had today... Uh, you know, somebody was talking about anger and you know, it coming up strongly and, and I said something along the line, so you know, what's it like? So what's it like? Where where is it when you experience it? You know, and there was some description of it, and then some more questions about the particulars of it, and then what happens, and is it like this, or is it like that, and is it here, is it there? All the rest of it, all these questions, investigating this particular state. So you might say, well, why would a teacher ask you that kind of stuff? (laughs) (laughs) We <laughs> we have curious interests, I guess. Why why would they want to know like where you feel anger in your body, or you know whether it's warm or whether it's cold, or whether it's there's gripping, or whether it's this or whether it's that? It's it's basically a coaching to you to help you actually turn awareness towards a state of suffering when it's present, so that you can recognize it. You can know it in real time when it's there. You can know the arising of this particular hindrance. And then you can bring mindfulness forward to know how to attend to that so it doesn't take, in this case, take your effort to do metapractice completely offline for a long period of time. So the first step in working with these hindrances is to learn how to recognize them to recognize them when they're present. So I'll give you one one hint about this. If there's struggle, if you're struggling, there's probably one there. If if there's a growing sense of frustration, there's probably a hindrance or more than one hindrance there. So then Instead of, you know, if, if this is a strong experience of frustration or difficulty, instead of just trying to like to plow through, you know, when the mind can't really carry the phrases, you know, you repeatedly are losing it, then it could be really skillful to say to yourself, hmm, might there be a hindrance present? Perhaps. And then the next question would be, which one might it be? And to actually go through your individual Rolodex. Okay, is it sense desire? You know, are these repeated thoughts that I'm having about lunch, is this craving? Oh yeah, okay, it's craving. Okay, this is sense desire. This is sense desire. Right? So you're actually heightening mindfulness in relationship to this and you're making it conscious instead of it just being a largely unconscious cause and condition that's, that has arisen, that's there in the field, that's influencing and partially or completely blocking your ability to attend to the meditation object. So you're seeing it. You're heightening mindfulness in relationship to it. And sometimes that's all that it, that it takes in order to begin to dissipate it. It's like, oh, okay, this is, this is like wanting something. This is wanting pleasant. Sometimes that will cause the whole thing to just fall apart, and you can go back to your practice. Or you might have to do a little bargain with it. Yes, I know. Later. For now, <coughs> let me continue <coughs> with this practice of metta. Or perhaps the thing to do at that point would be to use the mindfulness, which has recognized its presence, <clears throat> and actually do some investigation of the state. Okay, what's it feel like, this wanting? What's it feel like? Sometimes for me, when there's strong wanting, it's almost like, there feels like there's a magnet attached to the, the core of my body. It's, it's like, like a pulling thing. But if you're having <clears throat> something for instance about food, maybe there's like physical hunger sensations that are going on in the body that could be known. Maybe you notice just like an energetic impulse like to pop up out of your seat and, you know, walk out and get to be first in line or something. So you give the you give the state this thing which could be considered a cross-current or an obstacle or a block to being able to practice. You give it the right kind of care and dignity of your attention. And instead of it being a block there, it's, it kind of redirects like a gate into just part of the flow of awareness. So you're not teeing up against it. So for each of these hindrances, there are particular ways that you can work with them, particular remedies. Sometimes you can just drop them when you realize they're going on. Okay, I've thought enough about wanting chocolate for now. It's like the you know the sixth time I've had the fantasy of, you know, getting an almond chocolate bar in this sitting. I'm just going to, make the resolve, I'm not going to follow that thought when I recognize it arises again. And you might forget, you might still have the fantasy again, but you just keep getting back on the horse of awareness. So there's a way in which learning to work with these energies that could be blocks is very good compost for a whole list of wholesome qualities of the heart. Because think about what you have to summon and bring forward when you're going through a period of difficulty and it's not going easily and these hindrances are present in the mind and you undertake to work with them as best you can with some integrity. Think about what you have to bring bring up or call upon in order to do that? Well, there's patience, right? There's a kind of faith or confidence that, okay, well, it's here, but um, I'll do what I can with this. I'll bring some energy together. I'll, I'll meet it. There's resolve, you know, the determination to do that. There's generosity and relationship to yourself that you're you're going to undertake this process of learning. There's goodwill towards yourself in learning how to work with these energies which are otherwise a source of suffering. There's compassion to yourself because it's hard, but you're uh, responding with self-support and self-reinforcement and self-encouragement and meeting it instead of just cycling down into collapse. So you really, you can see, that having these difficulties to work with really heightens many wholesome and positive qualities of the heart and mind. Courage. So, they're only bad if we don't know what to do with them. In a certain kind of way, doing this meta practice is a little bit like having something wrung out, and you see, you know, what's in it. And there's a way in which meta practice is actually what's called a purification practice, which means that. You can actually have the experience in attempting to practice, do these heart-opening practices and develop this intention of universal goodwill towards yourself and others. That you actually become more aware of conditioned states of mind that you experience that are at variance with that. It kind of smokes them out. May you be happy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not right now, maybe. <laughs> maybe happy eventually, but <laughs> I think you should suffer just a little bit more and learn something from it. You know, you see, you see that some conditioned ten- tendencies of mind. Now, are are those tendencies a self? Is this like evidence? You know, if you're evidence collecting based on what you experience in meditation in order to form some fixed view of yourself, you're way off. But of course, you will do it anyway. (laughs) And this is part of our confusion about the span of control that we actually have. You know, I said earlier, we actually don't control what arises uh, moment by moment because we are, in the immediate sense, contributing only part of the causes and conditions that are involved with any particular thing manifesting. Right? I said that. And I used the example of you can't turn the selectomatic to meta and keep it there. That that's how I proved it, right? If you're in, if you're in control, then you turn it to that and you just leave it leave it there and just let it run, you know? We see that's not possible because in the immediate sense we're only contributing some of the causes and conditions that result in what is immediately present. So many of these uh, states that we can experience in meditation have, have deep and wide causes and conditions that are now ripening and then you have a particular kind of experience. But if the mind really like grabs hold of that like, you know, oh, I made it happen and I own it and all the rest of that and I should be doing better than having this state and I should be able to keep this state from happening or make it be different or all the rest of it. That, that's a formula for suffering because you're attempting to exercise a particular kind of control that you don't actually have. So all, all of these processes are about taking the existing resources of heart and mind that are present moment by moment and using them wisely to attend to what arises. In this process of learning how to wisely attend to what arises is really the key. Wise, wise attention. And this wise attention always has mindfulness as one of the things that are, are present. Both the ability to recognize the state that, that's there, and to be able to be in good, balanced relationship with it. Which has the effect, the presence of mindfulness in relationship to states, has the effect to undercut the suffering ones, the unwholesome ones, and to strengthen the ones that are wholesome that we want to have increase and strengthen so that we can be happier and wiser and and more compassionate. So, let me talk about a few things that can really feed the hindrances if you're not uh, aware of when they are present. So if you have expectations about what should be happening, you're probably going to suffer. Right? (laughs) See for yourself, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Because it's like you're, you're taking a mental overlay, you know, some concept about what should be happening, and you're kind of like, pasting it over what's actually there and then you're saying well you know what's actually there is not what's represented by the overlay so what's actually there is wrong so that's not a skillful relationship to what's present right Because it's all about wise attention in relationship to what's actually present. So, expectations about what should be happening in practice. And the negative or the flip flip side version of that is expectations about what shouldn't be happening in practice. You know, like, I shouldn't have this state. I shouldn't have this experience. I shouldn't have this... uh, anger, or I shouldn't have this loneliness, or I shouldn't have this resentment, or... There's a kernel of wisdom in it. I mean, it's clear we don't want to cultivate those states, right? We're not like trying to make them stronger or anything. But the interesting piece is, they don't respond to our condemnation of them by deflating. You may have noticed that so this is this is the meta piece, right You know that uh, fairy tale about the beauty and the beast so another thing that we can sometimes do that feeds the hindrances is you know kind of like report carding so if if you've <laughs> the, there's a This uh, this saying, uh, there's nothing like a you know I think this is from Steve Armstrong, the teacher Steve Armstrong. There's nothing like a good sitting to ruin your day. (laughs) (laughs) So you know what's meant (laughs) meant by that is you know sometimes we'll have a situation where you know we're participating, uh, you know skillfully, and the causes and conditions are there to help support that, and things are opening up and. Uh, you know, it feels very satisfying and, you know, we have a, a pleasant and wholesome experience of uplift and metta and maybe we feel it in the body and our heart feels open. And then we we go, a breakthrough, I've got it, I've got it now. And you, you know, walk into the hall in the afternoon and you know, given that it's a breakthrough and whatnot, you sit down and you think, well, I'm going to pick up where I left off. You know, maybe even you'll do, so how did I do that? How did I, let's see, how did I sit? Let me think about what I did. You know, how did I set myself up on my rig, you know? Yeah, I had that little cushion under my knee and that, you know, all of which is part of a, trying to figure out span of control, right? Like what causes and conditions went into it and, you know, and... And then you sit down and perhaps you have an experience that's quite different. So then what does the mind do with that? Oh, I lost it. Oh, now I'm doing it wrong. You know, I should be able to do it. How did I do that, right? And you you can see the agitation can really arise of trying to, you know, you know, jam yourself through the keyhole again. I got in there. I'm going to get in there again. You know, oh no, I thought I was doing so good and now I'm doing so bad and all the rest of it. It's all, again, the extra, the overlay of expectation on top of things and how it contributes to frustration. So it's not by pointing out these particular states that you're necessarily going to be able to completely drop them. Because they're conditioned arisings too, right? But maybe it's going to heighten the possibility for you that you would recognize them when they would arise and you might not believe them in exactly the same way that you might if they hadn't been pointed out to you. So, you know, we can really um, suffer when we treat practice as a performance. So it's really about an exploration so if you if you looked at uh, how things are um, mastery is developed with things, so there's a learning curve oh, let's see this is going to be reversed isn't it? How can I do this? Do I have that much spatial ability no <laughs> All right. so this is how this is how <laughs> mastery is gained, <laughs> all right? So it's like this. You learn. You're learning, 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 learning. Then there's a plateau thing that actually happens where you're like, oh God, I'm not getting any better. I'm not getting any better. But then the next, then the next step is you actually regress. You regress before uh, mastery starts to increase again. So it's so that all of this learning is not linear. It's experiential. So, you know, if, if the idea you have in your mind is you should be able to just, you know, ramp it ramp it up like that, you know, like shh, like ramp it up and then, you know, you like launch off the ski jump at the end or something and ah, ah, ah. (laughs) well, you know, they eventually fall too, don't they? (laughs) Hopefully you have your skis under you when you land and the right alignment, but I I think one of the things that I, that was most useful to me in my own practice was when, and this really happened uh, on the, some of the longer retreats, when I started to realize any expectation that I had about what was going to happen when I walked in the hall and sat down and started was delusionary. <laughs> in the mind, at, over time, it, but only because it suffered a lot, because it thought something should be happening other than what was happening, it suffered and <laughs> suffered and suffered and suffered. And at a certain point, after it was repeatedly pointed out to me, it started to kind of like skip over that part, the part of expectation, and started to just be with what was actually there, what was actually happening and work there. Because it started to realize that it was complete wasted motion and emotion (laughs) to be wanting something different in the immediate sense other than what was there. Because I couldn't control it. And I knew I couldn't control it because I tried everything possible to control it. So I ran my own little selectomatic experiment. And that's how you really actually start to learn these kinds of things internally, it's experiential. So there, there's patience required uh, with that and a certain kind of trust. That understanding will actually develop and open up just if you continue to not be overcome by reactivity to the difficulty that you're facing, but you know, acknowledge it when it's present. Try to figure out which version of difficulty it is. Bring mindfulness to it and, and develop some um, skill in wise attention in learning how to work with it when it's present. So this calls on a certain level of uh, maturity and and dedication. You know, we, we don't... Uh, you ever watch how a child, a uh, little toddler, learns how to walk? This whole process is really interesting if you've been around little kids. So, you know, there's the call, the turning over stage, Right? And then there's the kind of wiggling around on the floor arms and legs. And then the legs get kind of like, they learn how to like get the legs kind of like tucked under. And then, then you know, there's kind of like, oh, and then collapse, <laughs> collapse. And then after that, a little bit of, you know, the, like the beginning of crawling, crawling. And then there's a speed crawling phase. <laughs> you know, they can get really fast crawling around. And then there's the pull yourself up phase, right? Pull yourself up, you know, grab onto something, you know, mom or dad's hands, and, you know, maybe with a little help, and then maybe they then they start, you know, grabbing onto chairs or things like that and kind of being more independent. And then there's kind of like this, the standing up with the wobble. <laughs> and then there's like, letting go of the the thing, at least briefly, and there's still a wobble, and then there's a realizing that you're standing there, not holding on to anything, and then the child freaks out and then falls down on its butt, right? And the whole process continues through learning how to walk, right? There's first, it's, you know, holding on to something, or mom and dad, you know, holding the hands and legs are moving, and Many experiences of uh, falling on your boomba, and this is no different. It's the same kind of experience. You you take a particular skill set that's available to you now, particular resources of the heart and mind, and you just work with it and extend it. You work with it and extend it. The context gets fuller, the capacity gets uh, deeper and stronger. In the understanding starts to become more integrated. You have more pieces of knowledge and skill in working with the heart and mind, and you just keep building on it. But it's developmental. So wherever you are now in the, you know, falling on your boomba, or, you know, standing and wobbling, or, you know, being able to take steps or whatever, that's, that's where you are. That's, that's where the practice is then, right there. Just as with a child learning how to how to walk, I mean, you wouldn't expect it to, you know, launch itself from the, you know, uh, you know, learning how to crawl to, you know, standing independently and, you know, being able to walk. If a parent was saying that to the child, well, you know, you should be able to get up, get up, get up, buddy. You can do it. walk to daddy. You know, and the kid is still like. So you want to encourage yourself. You want to support yourself. You don't, you don't want to require yourself <clears throat> to do something that you think you should do. Work with what is actually happening. Work right there. That's the place. And trust that it, it'll open in time as it, as it will. When you make the contributions of wisdom and commitment and sincerity and energy and... Resolve and all that. So that's probably enough. So, why don't we just sit for a minute and let the exhortation subside? May we find delight in walking this path of learning. Coming to understand our own hearts and minds deeply and learning how to open further in wisdom and compassion. And may our practice be for the benefit of of ourselves and all beings without exception.